The Edifice Complex podcast is brought to you by DCM, the drawing specialists, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software, and Sensor Suite, the future of intelligent buildings. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here again with my colleague, unofficial agitator. Oh, official agitator. You're officially an agitator, Adam. Oh, yeah. Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Yoda, most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda. Hello. Do you know what I've been trying to work out? Is Yoda an agitator? I hope so. I mean, he's, he's a rebel, right? A total rebel. Total rebel, yeah. Just so he accepts no excuses for anything. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Actually, yeah. yeah. Agitator, man. You cannot That's accept right. that. So we're going to have a talk. Of, we're talking today to, some would say, a pillar of the commissioning establishment. So let's get into it. So our pillar then, <laughs> today, really, you know, it speaks to our hearts as a field service engineer and as, at his core, Obtained a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Buffalo. As an associate partner at JB and B, working on mission critical buildings such as educational, laboratory, healthcare, and lead green buildings. Welcome to the show, Ryan Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Adam. I don't know if I should be excited or scared with the <laughs> agitation and the introduction. So, but uh, I guess I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready well, for it. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Ryan, you obviously work on a team that pulls together multiple disciplines. I mean, if there was ever a definition for cross-disciplinary engineering practice, you kind of represent that. Uh, Certainly one of the most important segments being commissioning. We're going to talk about that today. That's one of your passions and Adam's passions and always has been on a radar screen of mine. That right away, working on a cross-disciplinary team means you're working with technical matters, you're working with project management, but you're also working with people skills the soft skills, and if there ever was a lion's den, you're in it. Why? (laughs) You know, it's. I got to tell you, like I've talked to a lot of people being in the position I'm in, the president of the BCA, there's a lot of interesting things going on, but it's not often. In fact, it's super rare that anyone says this has anything to do with people, but that is my feeling. Commissioning is people. I mean, that's it. Right. There's technical things that go along with it. There's codes, there's processes, there's things you need to understand. But at the end of the day, I think why I'm successful is because I'm much better with people than I am staring at books and looking at AutoCAD and crunching out problems and stuff. Although I was pretty good at it. And therefore, my guidance counselor said, you should do something with engineering. And I said, whatever, fine, I'll do it. But at the end of the day, I think really a lot of my success came around just interfacing with people, understanding that buildings go up with raw materials, with years and years of design and and, and everything that else that goes into it, but people are still doing the install, right? Until the time that maybe in the future, a building by itself or in pods, in modular pods will be dropped by drones. Maybe it happens, you know, in my generation, it's possible. I'm still waiting for the Amazon packages to fly by my door. That hasn't happened yet. But right now it's really people. So I think Commission is exciting, and, and you know I'm going to weave a lot of the Building Commissioning Association in here. And the reason why the BCA is so important in my mind is because it talks about whole building commissioning. It's not just talking about HVAC. It's not just talking about balancing or you know maybe something else. 
but whole building. When I talk whole building, everyone immediately goes to building envelope, right? Because you got the mechanicals and then you got the envelope. And I know it's not necessarily the same in the Americas versus across the pond and some other places. But at the end of the day, the envelope is so important because you can do whatever you want on the mechanical systems. You're not designing, right, to heat and cool the outside, right? So there has to be some layer of protection. But beyond just the envelope, there's so much more, especially now, right? You have smart buildings, you have low voltage, you have cyber. You think cyber doesn't affect commissioning and building systems? You're out of your minds, right? Especially if you're working with financial institutions and corporations that if God forbid someone gets into their building and starts affecting the way that their data centers are operating, you know, that's a major problem. So that is coming up. So when I'm talking whole building commissioning, yeah, it's a people service and you have to make sure that you understand everything that's going around in the building and everyone who's really touching all the ancillary parts. Yeah. You bring up the cyber stuff just for our listeners, just to keep an idea of the consequences. So in Canada, we have the National Research Council Institute for Research and Construction. Anyways, that's part of a big umbrella of databases. And a few years ago, when one, I think it was under the Harper government, they shut down funding for the institute. That was the first thing. And then right after that happened, they had a security breach in their data systems. And it shut the computer system down for almost two years. So between losing funding and shutting down the data systems, for almost two years, that entire organization was out of commission. Yep. Two years. You think about the hundreds or thousands of people that were affected by that, and then also any security risks that were exposed during the security breach, right? So one element of, of commissioning in terms of cyber, man, like you want to throw a monkey wrench into something? That was yeah. it. And even think now the times of COVID, right? That everything is connected to the internet, the IOT, right? So you have all these different parts and parcels in your building. You can control your damper on one of your, you know, central air handling systems from your phone. So what if someone dials in and just shuts down the outside air to a system, right? By the way, I'm not going to say that's probably happening in a lot of buildings anyway, just not through cyber, but just because, (laughs) and that's obviously what we're trying to do and fix with commissioning, but it's not just the financial impact. It's not just going down for a certain amount of time. It could be anything. And so it's interesting, and I don't want to spend the whole time in this because I'm by no means a cyber expert, but all I'm saying is as we move, as we go into the future, what does 2021 look like? And then the five years and the 10 years beyond, right? HVAC is kind of, if you think 20 years ago, why do you even have to commission? right? You throw an air handling unit, a chiller, a boiler, whatever it is in a building, it works. It's like starting a car for the first time. You just, you just drive it, right? But we know that that's not the case. And so it took a while to catch on. And so there's not a lot of commissioning providers that do the cyber commissioning and that do low voltage and IT and wringing out the, all the cables and, and all that stuff. But it's going to happen. I can guarantee you that. So we need to stay ahead of it. We're going to come back to this discussion, but just a quick step back. So you're sitting in high school, grade <laughs> 12, thinking about girls and cars and paying for your beer. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still thinking about the beer. (laughs) And then you end up in university, but then you end up with all these kinds of skills. So like, where did that come from? Like, Where does that, your ethos come from? Is that your parents or was it? To be quite honest, like scientifically, I'm an introvert, right? This is very difficult for me. I shouldn't say difficult. It was years and years of training in trying to make sure that I thought I was confident enough and able to kind of do these types of things. But I saw that as a differentiator. 
And so, no, I wasn't thinking about any of that in high school. In fact, like I said, guidance counselors were just like, math and science scores are high, go to engineering. And I said, all right. And then in Buffalo, New York, for those of you who know the area, very high, you know, big manufacturing kind of area, right? So I got, I got placed and I had a bunch of internships in Niagara Falls, which is right on the border of Canada on the U.S. side. And I worked in manufacturing plants, building, building silicon carbide parts for cars. And I was in the quality assurance division, believe it or not, which maybe had some impact in going into commissioning. I have no idea, but I did that. And then, man, I graduated right around, right before September 11th. So like there was nothing. When I got back to New York and into Long Island, nothing available. Everything that I had ready to go, everything was rescinded, right? That was, that was another very dark time in our history. So waited around and then kind of got lucky with a commissioning firm. I was there for two years and then went to JBNB because after two years, I was like, who am I to say I know how a building works walking around when I don't really understand? I never learned how to design anything. And I was giving the engineers a bunch of crap for saying, you don't know what you're doing. Meanwhile, I don't even know what they're doing. That's not fair, right? So I decided to join JBNB. I've been there for the last 18 years or so. And I split a bunch of time at the beginning understanding design. Why do you size ductwork a certain way? Why do you size piping a certain way? Why does there need... I was writing up fire dampers for five years. I finally realized what walls need fire dampers and where the retaining angles are supposed to go. In fact, now I give presentations on fire dampers, which is another story. But yeah, so that kind of gave me a good background. And then when I was doing design for a while, I just, like I said, I got tired of looking at the screens just doing the calculations and stuff. I just wanted to get my hands dirty, my feet wet, and just walk around. And so it's kind of what I did. And then the more and more I got involved locally within New York City at JBB, then I started getting involved in the BCA because I wanted to know what others were doing around the country and around the rest of the world, in fact. And I started to realize that while the East Coast is very much different from the West Coast in how we operate, it's still, again, very much a people thing. Processes are still the same. Quality assurance is still the same. And, you know, learning from a lot of others. So it's been, it's been great. And I guess lucky enough that they feel the same way about me and, uh, you know, now have the real good benefit of kind of leading the vision for this year. What's cool about that is you, you think about every day when you come to work, it's, there's never the same day. Like it's yeah. just your day must, every minute, every hour must change. So for those that are listening to the podcast and you're thinking about your careers, I can't think of another one that's more dynamic than, than your job. Yeah. I mean, there's days that I'm an absolute mess. I was in, you know, I was literally at ground zero in New York City for like 10 years doing a lot of work down there. And then other days just back at the office working on different stuff. So it's it's really, I mean, the industry is great. Like I said, with commissioning, you could be in a million square foot commercial office building one day. You can be in a Starbucks ceiling the next day. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> cool. I'd rather more of the former and less of the latter, but it's all good. Yeah, actually, that's, you've touched on some really good points there. Like the communication thing. Most engineers, I would argue, are introverts. Yeah. It's not natural. There's, there's the occasional psychos like me, but most of them are not naturally like gregarious out there wanting to do the presentations, right? Yep. So this is the thing I talk about with commissioning people. There's a skill stack you need, right? So there has to be a fundamental engineering sort of college, university level type background there, right? And yep. you've got to be reasonably solid in the fundamentals. But then you have a choice at that point to stay in that groove. And there's nothing wrong with that if you want to, right? But if you want to 
do other things, and commission is a good example of that, you've got to have the communication skills, the leadership skills, the multidisciplinary approach, right? You've got to build, you've got to stack all that up to do what you're doing, right? And then what does that give you? A great job with travel, variety. I have to say things. So one day I'm in this big ballroom and you're talking around having these big conversations. Next days you're up to your neck in muck and you're thinking, how did that happen? Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's good, right? It's variety. You it's know, um, Peter Drucker, right? Yeah. He was a Viennese uh, economist or business management consultant. And I remember reading one of it. I think it was his biography, actually, which was written, by the way, in his last days of his life. The guy came in and Peter was sick, but he visited his house. Anyways, long story short, Peter, as at an early age in his life, adopted this philosophy. Every four years, I'm going to learn something new. And he did. And so when you, if you start at 20 and you die at 80, that's a lot of knowledge. This you what you call Adam the stack. Yeah, the, the, skill, the skill stack. Yeah. yeah, the skill stack. And in many ways, you know, Ryan, when you think about your career and where you're going and you know where you've been and, and what's happening in the future, it's all about that. It's all about stacking it up. And and I would suggest that over a four-year period, and Adam, you probably agree with this, that building technology is changing at such a high rate right now. I mean, we have already a good base. We know how buildings should be designed and we know how they should work and function, but with the new materials of construction, with the new methods of construction, with all of the IT stuff, all of that coming in, it's a dynamic field if there ever was one. Yeah, four years is not enough to be an expert because you need 10,000 hours, right? So maybe an expert, nothing, but hopefully a good mind with a lot of other things. There's so many so many ways we could go with this conversation. And and Adam, it's funny what you mentioned. Like when we hire, we do hire students out of college to go directly into commissioning. And that is a different animal because you have a condition that you were mentioning where you're literally in front of somebody that's not in the company, like almost right away. It doesn't matter whether it's a client or a developer or an architect or anyone or a contractor, right? It, It doesn't matter. So you start to realize that you need those people skills early on versus potentially other people in our field, right? In the AE side, on the consultant side, where you can potentially not see another human being for years and just work on the computer. So it is a different mindset, but it's the same thing, right? We hire people from the Navy. We hire people that come in from other types of you know startup and, and tech companies. And it, it still is different, right? Those individuals may have been excellent at the technical side, but need to learn kind of the uh, the communication side and the personal side. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a struggle, but it's a challenge for some and it's opportunity also for, you know, like you were saying, to separate yourself in this industry because you're going to run into so many people. It's never a dull day for sure. Rarely get calls that say thank you. It's usually, <laughs> it's usually just calls of, uh, you know, hey, by the way, you ever check this? Yeah, like three years ago, what happened, you know? But again, it's all it's all part of the industry, and I love it. So before we talk about Big C, I just want to signal something for people early in their career here. I firmly believe that this skill set will be folded into commission associations like the BCA. I read, read recently, someone's going, oh, we're going to rectify the whole building, we're going to IoT it. Great, awesome. So the first thing that came to mind for me is single point of failure there, right? So all of a sudden, you need a super resilient electrical supply I don't think such a thing exists, by the way, without a lot of money because you need 100% redundancy at that point, right? And then you've got the IoT risk. So I believe firmly if I was young in my career and I had the sort of fundamentals sort of somewhat under control, I would move into the IoT controls algorithm side of things and also have a real 
solid knowledge of electrical supply, provision, redundancy, single point of failure analysis. These things are going to become, the days of just like craning something on the roof, starting up and then going for lunch are just over. And that thing is, that ship has sailed over the horizon. It's gone. People don't realise that, but that's where it is. So I actually think within the BCA 20 years from now, say, or even 10, there will be a discipline called, I don't know, cyber commissioning or um, algorithm commissioning or something like that, right? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's it's kind of happening now on a couple of fronts, but even with the, on the data side, We've yeah. seen so many different things happening with digital twin. Are you familiar with digital twins? Yeah. So essentially that that's going on a lot now on some of the larger projects where it's just you're just grabbing all of this data and, and like grabbing data is fine, but if it sits in an Excel sheet, it's not really helpful, right? But but over time plotting out what the building is doing, where they're spending their money, where they're spending their utility dollars, right? Should they be spending that many utility dollars? What's flagging out now? So just from that standpoint. It's really interesting. You talk about controls and all that stuff. So it's not just what's connected to the internet and the IoT and the cyber stuff, but also managing a building, being like an energy manager, an on-site energy manager doesn't necessarily, again, you need the human. And I'm not saying you don't need the human because the computers can do it, but the computers are giving you the information. Then you need to take that information and say, what am I going to do with this, right? Why are my utility, why is my electric so high, right? In the wintertime, what the hell is going on? So- well, unless you're electrifying your building, like you said, which is happening also, and then you'll have high utility bills in the winter as well. They also have people going to electrify, and one day there's going to be this disaster. Like, so people are going to use a, lose a ton of money, and everyone's going to go, why was that a good idea? Because everyone was doing it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you could get into now or later, but New York City, I mean, with all these local laws that they're pushing through, electrification yeah. is the way it's all going. Great intentions could have some pretty dire consequences. Yeah. If you're if you're in risk management, alarm bells have to be going off in your head, right? If you've got business in New York at the moment. Well, and it's but it's geography related, right? And yeah. you know, where are you getting your energy from? And you know, is it combustion base? Is it hydro base? Is it, like where yeah. is it coming from? Well, let's take Vancouver, Adam, out in Canada on the west coast, right? Major push for electrification, but all of their power generally is hydro. Yeah. There's a synergy there, and yeah. we, you know, we've talked about exergy before. Those are all low exergy environments. You take a hydro source, put it into a building that's conditioned with heat pumps, with large area surface area heat exchangers. It doesn't get any better than that, right? But if you've got an area that's serviced by combustion-based power generation, and everybody decides to buy a Tesla, you're good luck with that. You know, that's just a, that's a disaster. Like, that's just a disaster. And yet you, you got people, governments promoting electrification, you know, get on electrical, get on electrical, not understanding the consequences of it. Well, the intentions are good though, right? The yeah, intentions sure. are good. And, and the intention is that the grids are going to get greener too. So as you electrify, then in theory, right, the utilities have to do their part as well. So it can't just be, I know yeah. I'm talking about buildings now. It can't just be the buildings going to electrification without the grid kind of catching up. So the assumption is that all that happens. And listen, at some point, you have to start making these decisions. You can't just say, nah, it's not going to work, right? And we're starting to see that because, again, in New York City, interestingly enough, right, there's very stringent laws that are now giving deep, deep penalties should you not abide by them. And the first one is coming up. I think it's, it's either 2024 or 2025 when the penalties start. And then yeah. 2030, the real penalties start. And so for a while, this is already two years old in New York City. It came out in 2019. And so a couple of, or a lot of the owners and clients and developers were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen, how bad it was going to be, or they, is, is 
they're going to be a change in the government and, and something happening and, you know, holding out hope maybe for that. But so far that hasn't happened. Even with COVID, nothing has been relaxed, right? People thought maybe, well, you know, I'm spending more energy, putting different filtration in and increasing my outside air. Now it's only making things worse. Well, the reaction so far has been tough. Deal with it. And so I'm kind of proud of that. I think we're in a good place and they're, and they're trying to do the right thing. And of course, there's going to be hurdles, but everyone's got to do their part and not there's carve outs in the laws for buying energy wrecks that have to come locally. Yeah. And so, but there's only so many of those you can buy that exist right now. So that's still another option that some are considering. But at the end of the day, we're seeing people model their building and say, what am I going to do? The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Can you find the drawing and supporting documents you need in less than a minute? Now you can with Echo. It's simple. Just type what you're looking for and press enter. Echo knows your building. Speak with a drawing specialist today. Ask about our special offer of painless onboarding plus six months free with Echo. Visit podcast.thedsoffer.com. That's podcast.thedsoffer.com. And now back to the show. International listeners, there's, there's real kudos and a shout out here because NYC are really, New York City's really led the way here. This has been groundbreaking stuff. Frankly, knowing NYC, lived in NYC, worked there for a couple of years, knowing politics there, how this got through, I have no idea. Someone <laughs> must have been asleep at the yeah. but it happened, right? And it's a reality. And I'll link in the show notes. I did a blog of summarizing all that. I'll link into that. Good. So um, I want to talk about the BCA. So Jimmy's just set the scene here. When I started working in 1980, yes, old, right? There were no commissioning associations, right? So fast forward for 40 years, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> There's too many. I did some research for a client a couple of years ago, and there were 16 certifications in the US alone. There's so many associations. It's like the goddamn Wild West. Everyone's in business for themselves, zigzagging across each other, right? So it's gone from... Nothing to like this salad of everything. And the problem is this. I was a property developer for a long time. The word commission never left my lips once in seven years when I was doing that, by the way, which was fascinating. But that aside, the industry, one association, one qualification, they want to know what is the PE, the license. So I want an engineer, I want a PE or I want a PNG if you're in Canada or CNG in the UK, right? That is a thing. Everyone understands it. Just saying the word, people know exactly what it means, right? I think the commissioning industry needs that. So if I was boss hog for a week, I would force the BCA, ACG, everyone to merge and sort this out. Now, this is America. It's actually 50 countries now together with a bit of sticky tape, right? Everyone's in business for themselves. States are trying to get a piece of it. The different engineering boards are trying to get a piece of it. So you are a pillar of the establishment, right? Fix this for I like me. this. You guys are you guys <laughs> treat me too well. Listen, you know, where do I start? Um, so so the PE is a government issued like identification. Right now, these again are all kind of not for profits, or I believe most of them are not for profits, but they're not run or I should say fortunately by the state or the federal government. I hear what you're saying, but you could buy a hamburger in 15 different places, right? You can buy it from Burger King, or you can buy it from a franchise restaurant, or you could buy it from a steakhouse. They're all different. They're all hamburgers, but they're very different. And what I'll say is the BCA stands alone because it is the only association that's purely dedicated to commissioning, bar none. 
There's nothing else. So there are other associations that are out there, and you've mentioned some of them. Some of them are tied into other associations. In fact, one of them, the acronym is an acronym of another acronym. Yeah, no, the one you made ICG, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And they're, listen, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. It's basically vested in a balancing company. So it's more on the mechanical side. Like I mentioned, BCA, whole building commissioning is really what we're focusing on. There's other kind of, you can go through ASHRAE and you can go through AEE and they all have certifications. But again, the organization that holds those certifications, it's just a branch of many different things that they're offering. So with the BCA, what I will say is I wish there was a day that we were the only ones out there. I don't think that it's coming this year. I know that it's not coming this year. I don't know if it will ever come. But I feel confident, honestly, that just from the association side, right, we exist. Like our mission and vision is clear. It's on our website to drive the built environment to the highest levels of optimization. That is our mission. Our vision is a built environment worth inheriting. Again, like I think about my children and what they're going to do and where they're going to live and work. I want them to inherit an environment that they can live and prosper and move forward in. So that is my kind of duty and vision within the Building Commissioning Association, going to that. It's interesting, my mission and the vision and vision that I mentioned doesn't even say commissioning in it, yeah. right? And that's intentional because right. at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. And that is our overall kind of, high level of vision. So we've grown in membership. Certainly uh, there's others that can say that can say higher, but year after year, the last two or three years, our new members have been growing and growing, which is really good. And we're committed to advancing commissioning practices. In fact, we do ourselves a disservice. I will tell you, we do ourselves a major disservice is because we grow the industry, whether you're a member or not. Yeah. Right? We have people advocating out there in ASHRAE, at the USGBC, in other places, just pushing the industry forward. And that's what we're committed to. And that's it, right? All the money that's driven through this nonprofit organization is literally just to support the membership with training opportunities, with best practices, with the conferences and stuff, but also on the advocacy side, right? Just pushing the industry forward. And fair or unfair, it's for everybody, right? So the reason it's in some of the codes, and I know, Adam, you had mentioned something about uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. That's made I mean, one the reason week. I'm certified with ACG is I work and consult with a firm who do lots of Corps of Engineers work. Right. And you've got two choices. You've got to be enable ACG or you're not on the job. It's very... It's very binary. <laughs> yeah. So we're not perfect. We're working on that, right? We'll yeah. try to get there. But that's why I feel it's a little bit different. And you mentioned yeah. the certifications. Oh, the certifications. So I was also years ago, the president of the BCCB. So that's the Building Commissioning Certification Board. That stands separate from the BCA, which means to get your CCP, which is a Certified Commissioning Professional, or your ACP, which is the associate commissioning professional, that's kind of the step under, right? If you don't have all the years of experience and stuff, you do not need to be a member of the BCA. You don't. It's not tied to membership. So it's not a revenue thing. Again, we do it to our disservice just for the benefit of the actual industry of commissioning. We want everybody to have an equal part and be able to take the test and get the certification. However, the certification is the only one out there that actually requires you to get recommendations and have the right amount of experience, right? right? So a lot of the other tests out there, and it's not just ACG, it's also with ASHRAE and the AEE, right? You can just sign up. You can take a class. I did it. I did it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I did it. I took a class for a couple of days and I took a test. 
and hopefully you pass. But with the CCP and the ACP, we do believe that, again, it's kind of the steakhouse versus the fast food. To go back to the reference, it's because of that experience and it's because you need to be not just experienced, but be a project manager and be referred to by a client as doing the right thing. So before you even take the test. Yeah. So again, not the only one, ain't going to be the only one for a while, but we do believe that it does stand alone. It's interesting you say that because obviously I asked you a question that's impossible to answer in a way, right? But I do like what BCA are doing, the way they are separating out. So there's a difference between certification and qualification, right? Which is sort of the path you've gone down, right? Correct. And I've, I've hit a hot button there for Robert. <laughs> so there's that. And not all certifications are created equal, right? Two days in a classroom and a nice certificate for your mum to be proud of is not the same as being qualified, right? Right. And that's right. the problem the industry has. So the industry has the problem is uneven qualifications, which is why you know a PE has a certain standard. There's a level you've got to get to, right? To get to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I'm sure we all run into it from time to time, just trying to bid on projects, right? The assumption of the person in procurement that's hiring you to do a particular job assumes that everybody who's they're bidding out to, right? All five or 10 bidders are all offering the same level of service when it's not usually. And unfortunately, again, to our own disservice, we think it stands alone. But if you're looking at the CCP versus the CBCP versus the CXP or whatever's out there, yeah, it's hard in a couple of letters to explain why it's different. So hopefully maybe some of this conversation will certainly get me in trouble and get back to some other people and then we'll start to realize what the difference is. Adam and I were joking on another, I think it was after a show, we were saying there's just two things a purchasing manager should not be in charge of. That is buying buildings and buying toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Nice. Very nice. So did I answer your question? Is that... Yeah, yeah. uh, just just to drill down a little bit. So given the sort of like Wild West nature of the business at the moment, right? Now, this is just how I think because I'm a psychopath, right? So if I'm you, I can't get them to merge with me. So I've got to be better than them. So I'm so objectively better, I put them out of business, right? This is business in general, right? So the question is, how does the BCA become the natural, obvious choice that even purchasing managers know, you know what, I've got to have that logo, not that I think it's in what I've been trying to do. And with the last president, Dan Farino, before me, when I was president elect last year, what we've been trying to do is become more visible. To be quite honest, I'm not even looking in the rearview mirror. I could care less what anyone else is doing. Honestly, that's kind of how I go about my day. That's what I've done in my career. You know what? Like what I like to be better than everyone. Sure. But I think I'm always trying to improve. We're always trying to improve. Yeah. I think by visibility, it will just tell the story by itself. So we're doing all these amazing things. We've been doing all these amazing things for years and we haven't necessarily been out there. We haven't been doing these kinds of podcasts. We haven't been visibly available on the internet. Our website needs updating, some other things. But behind the scenes, you know, I mean, our our people worked with the USGBC to get commissioning as a prerequisite, right? It's also doing all these other things with training everything we're doing. So, and the advocacy, like I mentioned. So I think, If nothing else, the visibility will start to get, hopefully, people talking. It'll stand alone. I mean, ASHRAE is one of those household names. If you're in the architecture and engineering community, you just know it. I would love to hopefully get there, and that's the plan. 
Yeah. You know, what's interesting today, this morning, actually, I was a judge in, in a uh, contest for buildings. There was, I think there was uh, 30 commercial buildings that were submitted in the contest. And I think something like 60 houses that were done. And it was all dwindled down. And when it was all said and done, we said to the organizers, you know, when you guys create these competitions, you need to have on those forms, what method was the building commissioned to? What thermal comfort standard was the building in compliance with? What was the air quality standard? What was the energy standard? Because all of these engineers and contractors that submit these into these contests, yeah. they all talk about, well, the building was efficient and everybody was comfortable. And it's just like a whole bunch of subjective shit. You know, like, it's like I, your grandma could tell me the story, right? I don't know. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> no, but tell me, like, tell me what you guys did. I want to know what standard you guys did it to. And after 40 years of, of preaching that shit, we still don't see the industry stepping up and saying, okay, yeah, well, the building's operating as it was intended. Well, to what commissioning standard, you know, it's comfortable. Well, to what standard was it Ashley 55, you know, tell me like, right. Yeah. I mean, you don't commission to a commissioning standard though. You commission to what, you know, the standard, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go back to the ASHRAE guideline zero, right? The owner's project requirements. So in that case, that is your roadmap, right? You need to understand, yes, what ventilation standard are you using? What energy codes are, are you referring to and things? And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It should be in there. But it is really hard. I mean, again, I'm going back to like the procurement side. When you're going out to bid and I'm competing against others, if the RFP sucks and it doesn't give the information that you need for the level of commissioning that they want, then it's crazy. It's it's all out there. Nobody knows what they're buying. In fact, usually when the RFP is still pretty good, you don't know what you're buying. So yes, that's been the biggest struggle from the certification to you know commissioning like we talked about at the beginning. You can just do it on the mechanical systems. You could do it on the whole building side. And so what are you getting? What standards are you using? It's, um, I will tell you, it's on the list. It's on the list to try to qualify because again, I am one of those people that gets kind of obsessed with the details and what are we doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I agree, we have to kind of hone in and kind of narrow the playing field a little. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you. Anyone who's doing what you're doing, like an association, net, you're constrained by two things, money and the fact that everyone there is a volunteer, right? Yep. That's the problem. Because the way to handle this in the medium long term is you become the thought leaders of the industry. You write the books, you write the standards, you get them into the Corps of Engineers specs, the three-letter agency specs. And over time, the way ASHRAE have become a de facto thing, the BCA becomes the ASHRAE commissioning. Do you know what I mean? Right. For me as a lobbying group, people don't understand what ASHRAE is. There's a reason that office is in Washington, right? They're yeah. a street lobby group, but they just got big brains. Correct. I mean, just like the ACEC, for those of you yeah. who know the Association Engineering, yeah, it's very similar. And so, yeah, all the advocacy that we're doing is with four staff and a bunch of volunteers. So you're yeah. exactly right. Exactly right. So the, the, then the argument, the business side says, well, if you merge, you'd have more results. But I don't know. It's, I think one of the tactics I really think the BCA got right is going out and running with the qualification. So I, I coach in a few engineers in to side hustle and minor coach people. So there's kind of senior British commission engineers I'm dealing with in UAE. So I said, yeah, why don't you get a US certification? So obviously not ASHRAE. Two days in a classroom is not enough. So I pointed them to ACG because that's where I was, right? But they're in the business of getting you to get the firm in, right? right? So for an individual, it's like two and a half grand. 
And then when I was speaking to you not long after that advice, I realized BCA do a qualification because the addressable market for individual qualifications, the standards are it's valuable. The addressable market is huge, right? And by the way, you could carry it with you on the, yeah. on the, the CCP and the ACP. Yeah. That goes with the individual. It does not travel yeah. with the company. So I'm not advocating for anyone to leave their company, but should they, right? They can keep the certification, yeah. which is the way it should be, right? Because it's yours. Your, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. your relationship is with the individual. And I think that's right. differentiating. That's powerful. And there's got to be a way to monetize that a little bit better as well. But you know, I think that is something the BCA should pound hard because- no one knows. I mean, arguably, I'm supposed to know what's going on in this industry. I, that was news to me. <laughs> it, it all goes back to the visibility. And yeah. You know what's really interesting and the things that we're doing now, which, again, don't get all the same kind of notoriety as others, yeah. is we're really investing in our student and our presence in colleges. Yes, that's um, And so, you know, it's funny. I did a presentation at the BCA conference. Um, it was in St. Louis maybe six or seven years ago. So this was one of those, it was not a standard like in front of the room and giving a speech to Andre people. It was right around the time of like the football season starting and everyone was doing their fantasy football drafts, right? So I said, let's do a fantasy commissioning draft. And here are the projects that we have. So everybody has $10 and you have a 50 year experience commissioning provider for $6. You have a new kid out of school for $1.50. You know, you have a, a five-year electrical engineer for $3, whatever it is, right? Because you can't just hire whoever you want. It has to come out of some budget or, or whatever it is. So I don't remember the exact numbers, right? I, but the intent was everyone went in there before we started that, like the understanding that you only experienced people could do commissioning. That's it. You had to have, you know, 30 years of experience, which by the way, is the same thing for your accountant or your doctor or your dentist, right? Do you want a dentist that just came out of school? Of course not. It's a silly thing to say for commissioning providers because it's all the same, right? You have to start somewhere. So anyway, we left the whole fantasy draft with people saying like, you know what? Maybe if it's a residential building with a lot of repetitive heat pumps or fan coil units, then you know what? The the experienced person shows up the first few days and we can kind of do a lot of the repetitive stuff because it's a good opportunity to learn. And, And maybe in a data center, yeah, maybe it doesn't work, but you need the, the two you know, mid-range people or whatever it ends up being. So the thought was very different. And so that was years ago. Fast forward, it still hadn't caught on at a lot of the colleges and universities and the students. They're still coming in trying to be engineers or do something else. But right now, we have a bunch of colleges from around the country that have actual commissioning programs and have commissioning instructors. One That's of them true. being, I'll give credit to the University of Arizona, and one of our members is working there who's doing a great job. You know that the University of Wisconsin-Madison obviously has some programs as well. So we're seeing a lot of movement on that. And that's really exciting also for me because now it's a real career choice, Mm. right? So you're leaving knowing that commissioning is a career versus me leaving 20 years ago saying, okay, I have a mechanical engineering degree. Now, what the heck am I going to do with that? I could go different ways. So that to me is really exciting. and, And the BC is kind of trying to push all that student engagement as much as we can right now. Yeah, so I love that idea. I, you know, it's like a menu at a restaurant, right? Unless it's on the menu, you don't even know about it. And now the yeah. fact that you brought it into the college curriculums, university curriculums, people now know about it. And it's important. Like, what's that all about? I love yep. that. Yep. That uni, I mean, most people were the University of Wisconsin one, but the University of Arizona one, I wasn't aware of that. Again, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, right? That's why I tell people to pay me. So <laughs> that's a great talk about legitimacy in one bolt, right? 
if that is a program at university, immediately it's got kudos, right? And if you get the right people in it, it could become a research thing. It could become a promotional oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, that's so a great good. secret. We've got to unsurface these secrets and get them out there. <laughs> Trying to think of what else. Well, Adam, we had, who was it on? I, was, I think it was Professor Liam O'Brien and <laughs> University of Carleton, and they had their students, I don't remember what year of students it was, but they go and they recommission the campuses. So every year when there's a new group of students, and over years they've had incremental reductions on the energy, which is the result of the students learning about building systems. And I, what a win-win, right? Child labor laws, though, is that? Because <laughs> kids try to pay off their student loans. More, more angry, angry, angry young men, angry young women. Yeah. That's, that's a, a living lab situation, right? Absolutely, yeah. Here's the fundamentals. Here's the professor or teacher who's teaching you. And by the way, we're going to put this into practice because that's one of my fundamental problems with university courses. It's too academic and not enough practitioner. There's a yep. mix in there that's right, right? Yeah. And BCA could be, certainly University of Arizona, could be part of that, right? Could be part of that mix. Yeah, I mean, I do truly consider myself lucky for finding this this profession so early because I didn't even know it existed. I wish I did, but you're right. I mean, when I went to school and there was a couple of labs here and there, but otherwise I didn't know what I was setting myself up for at the time. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're like me. You stumbled into this field, right, by complete accident. Right. That's that's amazing. So again, I'll... Afterwards, if you send me a link to the Uni of Arizona stuff, I'll make sure it's in the show notes so people know. Absolutely. Arizona University, is an, it's an awesome, awesome yeah. educational facility. Uh, yeah, it's just an institute. And, you know, when I got my, well, healthyheating.com, the, the website, we started that in 2002, I think it was. And there was Professor Shetsley from Arizona State University. He had a student that had a whole thing on indoor environmental quality. And it just spoke to me. And I remember, and Shetsley was a member of one of our technical committees. And I said to him, you know what? We want to start a website that's on IEQ. You know, how does that affect people's productivity, learning, health, all that kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you get, And you have a student that just put, put a bunch of stuff up. Can I borrow it? And he says, absolutely, you can borrow it. That became the DNA for our website. And here we are now, 2001. And I don't know what, I lost track of our data. I don't know how many people, new visitors we get a month, but it's tens of thousands that we've touched. Yeah. And it was because of Arizona State University. Great institute. Yeah. So at the BCA, is everyone upbeat? Because uh, I've worked, I was involved in starting the Commission Special Association in the UK, and we went through these like waves of fat- utter fatigue and despair. Then we were all super upbeat, and then it was like, oh, God, again, you know what I mean? Is it like that at the BCA? How's the mood? <laughs> How's the mood? No one's ever asked me that. These are, <laughs> these, these are the hard-hitting questions that everyone wants to know. That I will. <laughs> yeah. It, no. Ne- it, oh, next time I'm I'm gonna be three beers in, like you uh, told me I should. Yeah. Um, totally. I got to tell you, like especially with the new member, ret- the new members we've had, and we're talking about some of the retention and stuff. I think it's never been a better time, and I'm not just saying that for marketing, like yeah. kudos or whatever, but especially last year and this year, we've had a real focus on succession planning and who's right. coming next. And no longer, I mean, it's 2021 regardless. So we're working as well as everyone else on some of the diversity and inclusion measures because we absolutely feel that we're doing okay. But, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done 100%, right? So we're working on that. But from like the succession planning, it's no longer 
I know it's a volunteer organization, but it's no longer like, I mean, this is how I got involved. Hey, Ryan, what are you doing for the next 30 years? Um, so, and then then I started getting (laughs) involved. Exactly. Look at me now. I wear these shirts all the time. Um, no, but now we're truly trying to do and run this like a real organization that we get paid to do in our regular day-to-day work, which is find the people that excel at certain things. And there's some that excel more on the technical side, some that excel more on the communication side and stuff. And so we're trying to put people in positions that really benefit yeah. who they are and their and their successes and stuff. And so I think I think we're doing okay this year. I think we're going to do great in five years also because of all the work that we're putting in, all the groundwork, we're, we're laying the seeds and stuff. And so, I mean, I don't give ourselves enough credit now. We're doing great this yeah. year with all the stuff with the students, like you're talking, the training, the new members and stuff, the visibility. But yeah, I think, like I said at the beginning, it's like a whole cycle of events here. It's all about people. I say it all the time, yeah. like everything... I don't know. Everything in life is about people, right? Your, your relationships at home. And that's why COVID is so impactful to everybody because we're talking on these screens. But I think with that and what's going on with the BCA and pulling people and trying to advocate for the strongest people, whether they're here for five years or 50 years, is no longer like the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Now you become president. And I'm, I guess, living proof on that, right? And so we're trying to put people in positions to succeed. And we have some amazing people from around the country and Canada and internationally. We have to push our international side a little more, but uh, our Canadian members are killing it right now. They are all over every committee. I'm telling you, they were all over it. Our conference this year, God willing, is scheduled for October in Toronto. It'll be our first international conference. So we can't wait. And the Canadian, all of our Canadian chapters, all two of them, the West and the East, they are, you know, super excited to, to host, to be the host country. So no, I think honestly, everything right now is going super effective. The Edifice Complex will continue in just a moment. Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side. Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software. Blue Rhythm is the commissioning software I've been looking for. Most projects I consult on suffer from poor information and document management. Frankly, it's just chaos out there. Blue Rhythm removes this chaos. It is a secure, always available cloud solution designed to work on any computer, tablet, or smartphone. Their Android and iOS apps allow seamless transition between online and offline work. But what I like most about Blue Rhythm is their painless and fast onboarding process. That team will bring all your existing forms and checklists into Blue Rhythm for you, or you can use or adapt their pre-built, pre-functional, and functional performance test sheet templates. But it's more than that. It enables collaboration, automation, and easy planning and project management for all your projects. Blue Rhythm provides amazing support from a team that really understands your industry. To find out more, go to bluerhythm.com or call country code plus one, 612-460-8305. Also, you can hear from Blue Rhythm President Andy Martin on episode 26 of the Edifice Complex podcast. Robert, Robert, we there yet? I'm bored. <laughs> and I'm, I know it's hard to believe, but the future has finally arrived in Canada. How's that then? Well, smart remote building and equipment management is now available from Sensor Suite. Go on. Sensor Suite, yep. They're an innovator of smart building technology. We like them. They can monitor, control, and optimize anything in your building, saving you time and energy. 
You mean that's the suite of moving Canadian buildings into the 21st century? Yeah, I know, another hard thing to believe, but they're doing it and they're saving owners money with efficiency gains. Okay, I'm in. How do I find out more? Gotta go to sensorsuite.com or call 1-855-773-6767 and also check out the July 2020 episode of the NFS Complex podcast and listen to Census Suite CEO Glenn Spry. And now, back to the show. Well, you know what? I mean, for having the conference in Toronto, as Adam and I know, the currency exchange means you can find a quarter on the floor in New York and that'll pay for your airfares. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, or a couple of bats. Pick up those dimes and nickels and quarters, people. You can come to Canada for free. Now, I think um, the BC, you're right. The BCA, are, they do differentiate themselves well, right? But, you know, it's sometimes the best kept secret. Like the qualification route for individuals is a great one. I think you could also be way, way more powerful on the international stage with the right, because now the barriers are down, you know, using the internet to transmit your message. It's yep. a low cost barrier now, right? So, you know, what's interesting. Yeah. I spoke to Thomas Stunkel, I think his name is, from, uh, oh, from yeah, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he's from the Dach countries, yeah. D-A-C-H. And they never associated, those countries never associated to the Building Commissioning Association because yeah. of the word building. Yes. And I thought that was so interesting because they don't have buildings like we have buildings, no. but they do. It's just not kind of the high-rise commercial office, right? So a petrochemical plant isn't necessarily a building in their mind. They're yeah. just doing commissioning. So it was almost, well, it was a surprise to me, but it was almost a difficult conversation to say process is process, engineering is engineering. The cube that holds the petrochemical plant is considered a building in my mind, right? So there's a lot of, if not a lot of synergies, all the synergies there. So like anything else, and we've been saying this forever, it's all about education and visibility and trying to coordinate everybody's mindset to kind of be on the same page. You know, it might be hard to merge with other associations in the US for various sort of like political reasons, but it might be actually easier to merge with some international associations, you know, because the novel nature of an approach like that would really sort of push a lot of political shit down the drain, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I really want to see one commissioning association just leap ahead and just get this stuff sorted out. And the BCA at the moment is probably the best candidate for that, in my opinion. I'm not saying that because you're here, but it's the truth. You know, you've got this guy. Have you got any numbers to hand? It might be an unfair question. Have you got any like membership numbers you can tell us? At last check, I think we were in the 1,200 range, something like that, individual members. And then there's right. you know companies and stuff associated with that. I don't have the breakdown, but obviously the vast majority is in America and Canada. And then we have, you know, quite a few international. Yeah. There's a, I do a lot of work internationally. There's a real appetite for what you're doing, but a lot of people don't know about it, quite frankly. Right. right. You know, so I think internationally, there's a lot of uh, opportunity for you. But, you know, we, we can do this offline, a bit of a brainstorm maybe. But I get a bit excited about stuff like this because there's such, with some of the, a few good, easy steps. It could change things for the BCA. Do you know what I mean? Are you a broker? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you trying to broker a deal? Well, not. Listen, I'm, oh, I, I'm a gun for hire. Is what I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we could, we could take the conversation offline at at a minimum. So I like the idea of kind of partnering because the, another reason we are so strong is because of the chapters. Those are the organizations you're referring to don't have chapters, and so. Yeah. 
chapters could be great. They could also be horrible if it goes wrong, meaning like that is where the action is happening. And the reason why the chapters are so effective for the BCA is because like I mentioned earlier, commissioning is kind of parochial. Like it's, it's different in the Northeast than it is in the Southeast and Southwest and, and the center of, of the country. And, and even in Canada to a certain extent. So the chapters are nice because you can coordinate with other people who are kind of doing the same thing as you, if it's slightly different on, on the different coasts and stuff. So right. we need chapters internationally. We have chapters in the United States and Canada. We have, like I said, international community. Yeah. But yeah, if, if it's another organization that's helpful in that getting that chapter mentality there, then I, we'd be all for it. So that's, okay, that's I'll just give you a top tip as a Brit who's now a North American, a British North American, right? When you say the word chapter to anyone in Britain or Europe, they think of Hell's Angels. <laughs> that's why there's no chapters outside of North America true true story we've got to call it something else <laughs> big tip right <laughs> all right thanks for everyone goes up. Sons of Anarchy on you we are chapters I mean, Sons of Anarchy now give my I was a big fan <laughs> I'm a huge fan so just one other little um, thing for me I think the, the BCA could deal with so integrated systems testing so my the big thing culturally for me, is the difference between North American approach to commissioning and, say, other parts of the world is where I was trained, we were taught to think in systems. And a lot of that is to do with things like there's a lot of hydronic systems, whereas in the US and Canada, the supply chain is geared to let's, let's get a hand, a hand unit on the roof, right? Get that rooftop unit on, start that sucker up, right? So there's a culture of what I would call equipment-based approach in North America versus a systems-based approach elsewhere. But now we have, which was all good and dandy up until the 80s, right? Then when control systems went digital and complexity really started creeping in and the interdependency of the systems, then you get onto what I call integrated systems testing. Mm -hmm. Now, my big moan at the moment is in the UK and North America, there are no, well, there's one in North America, I'll come to that. There are no real... No commissioning associations and no talks talk about integrated systems testing, right? I found one. The NFPA do this book called Integrated Life Safety Systems Testing. It's a combination of NFP three and four, right? And it's a how-to. It's a practitioner's guide. It's freaking awesome. I have a theory why no one knows about it, because if you actually did use that book, you'd have to do the job properly and no one could afford that. (laughs) But... Again, this is an opportunity for any association who wants to be a thought leader here. Solve that problem. Set standard for integrated systems testing. You know, it's an interesting topic because the BCA doesn't set the tone on even the equipment level testing, right? I mean, I call it, but that's intentional, Adam. Oh, is it? So, yeah, because I call it where I am functional performance testing. Someone else calls it functional testing or, or, or whatever it is. And then what really muddies the waters, as you know, is there's levels in some cases, but no one knows what levels they're using, right? Level one or level zero, depending on which association you're talking about, right? Could be just the initial walkthrough and punch list versus level three to some is pre-functional. It's two for startup for others and, and vice versa. And then when you get to like level five, what they call it integrated system testing, but that's how the natural progression needs to be. Right. In my opinion, commissioning happens in many different stages. And by the way, all those stages, all those levels are way after everything else you're doing. Right. Like the design review and all the meetings and the plans and the spec writing and all that other stuff. And then when you get to the point of actually testing, yeah, there's all those different components. And so what the BCA is doing, and I can't talk about anyone else just because I don't know. 
uh, is talking about the best practices while you're doing those things. But it's not telling you exactly how to do it because that's not our job. That's really the member's job. If you're not doing that, so I, I do data center work. So in the absence of leadership role on that, by not just being on VCA, it just could be anyone, right? Right. People like Amazon, they create their own. Right. Right? Right. It should be for someone like the BCA to really clarify that because it takes the he said, she said out of it, right? This is what functional performance testing is. This is what integrated system performance testing is. is what startup is. And then it tones down the noise and chaos. Because if you're not doing it, clients are going to do it. And clients are going to do it differently. So then you wind up, if I did a AWS job, I'm looking at, I know what they want compared to what Facebook want compared to what you know someone else wants, right? Right. But then you might be pricing yourself out to a McDonald's. Yeah. So that that's and that's also part of the problem, right? Yeah. Because yeah, no, I agree with you. AWS and some of these other kind of you know software tech companies yeah. are much different. They're the new what was the banks of the '90s and stuff, yeah. right? Where yeah. they had their own criteria, right? All the big banks you can name them. So now it's all the Facebooks, Amazons, etc. Yeah. Are are running that too. But it's different, to be quite honest. AWS, when you're talking about the, the like robotics distribution centers, are much different than the Amazon uh, office space that we, we see going up also. So I hear you. I just don't know if it's really practical because it's just it's so the level is so different, right? Like I do a lot of jobs that are strict energy code, and they tell me, do you really have to do all this stuff? Like, <laughs> do, you, do you really need to check the point to point and look at it at the front end? You know, yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> well, no, I probably don't for energy code. It doesn't say it. It's not prescriptive. That's kind of the problem. Like, and if we're writing that, and that we may be doing a disservice to our members, especially if you're saying always do this, and they're losing every single job to someone who's yeah, a quarter of the get, price. So you got to get into specs. You got to get into specs. Right. That's yeah. what we did. I mean, I'm having a real bitch session here just because you're here and I can, and it's unfair. But you're a big boy. <laughs> you know, you should. Uh, you should share your opinions more. That's something that I, I, I can see that you're very scared of doing. <laughs> and this is a good place to segue into sort of our quick answer because yeah, we're going to be conscious of your time, Ryan. Yeah. The question I have for you is that 25 years in the future, you're looking back and the architectural engineering teams now demand a commissioning a member of the BCA on the design team. How did you get there? Oh, I like that. Oh, how did we get there? Can I change that up a little? Can I say that in 25 years, I want the building commissioning providers hiring the architects and engineers? Oh, I love that. I mean, listen, if you you look at the way commissioning is structured and the best practices of everything, the building commissioning provider is the first person the client should hire, bar none. Like that, that's that's it. And then... And then that, that's how it's written. And then that's, how, that's what drives all the other kind of decisions that you're going to make on the project. And so how often do you find, and now USGBC is going to audit every one of my projects, how often do you find that you're writing the owner's project requirements after the project has already essentially been designed? I swear to God, I've never done that if this is recorded. <laughs> but, but no, you're, you're asked to. And to be fully transparent, there are many occasions where I say, no, can't do it, right? Too far gone, hire someone else. Not going to do it. But it's happening. So I'd like to say, if I do anything in this industry and I'm successful at what I'm doing, starting with the students like we talked about a little while ago, starting the universities, making the career choice a career choice of choice, 
people going into this industry really, you know, pounding their chest. I've been saying, especially with COVID, we should be wearing capes on our around our necks, right? Yeah. We're the superheroes getting everyone back into these buildings, yeah. Yeah, going totally. in and, and making sure all the indoor air quality is, is up to even forget about increasing the air indoor air quality, but just getting it to the place that it should have been, right? right? And yeah. so that's what I'd like to see in the future. I'd like to see in the future, the commission provider being not as a commodity-based kind of service, but someone that's you know shoulder to shoulder with the client, totally bought in, everyone's on board, and then kind of not taking over the design or the architecture or anything like that, but just being part of all the decisions so that you know the building is operating you know for the yeah, next I, five I years. I think uh, I love that. Yeah, owners sort of like subject matter expert advisor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of them mean well, but you know, they're finance guys. They didn't get into uh, developing buildings that, you know, for the engineering stuff. It's just the reality, right? So Absolutely. we need to just be on our game. Yeah. Okay. So my, my quick fire question is this, you know, we're in a culture period of cultural change, I'd say. And one of that part of that change is about getting more women into the workforce. Now our industry is not great at attracting women. Now I'm not a fan of like pushing people into things they don't want to go. It's about, our industry being more attractive as a career choice, right? So how how do you think we could do that for commissioning? Because commissioning is quite a a bro bro space, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. If you asked me five years ago, my answer probably would have been different. And I thought five years ago that there just weren't women and people of color and just other kind of minorities available. And that's, I've come to know that that's completely false, Right. Um, that the people, you know, leaving universities and stuff, it's close to 50, 50, if not more on the female side, actually in engineering. So what are we doing wrong? And so we have to ask questions and I've, I've asked this and I pose the challenge again to the BCA to say, we can't just look in the same places and expect different results, right? We have to be strategic about where we're drawing in members from and even what we're saying, the words. So it's interesting. We have a really strong international board of directors. It's not quite 50-50 male-female, but it's close. And so as part of some of the information that we release, we ask a variety of people to read it and just read the words and words matter and we're not alone in this, right? And so there's some cases where things that were written by predominantly historically, you know, male-driven audiences was different from what how female would read it. And so I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have all the answers, but but the reality is we're aware of it and, and trying to make changes. And I'm just really excited. Just from the standpoint, I can tell you that our, our iBot is close to 50-50 male-female, and, and yeah. that's a huge change from, from where we were just a few short years ago. Good, good to hear. Okay, well, look, thank you very much for coming on and putting up with my moans about the industry, because obviously you were going to fix it for me. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and yeah, good. thanks for coming on. Have you got any pluggables you want yeah. to have? So I'll I, put the links to your to JBMB website, the BCA. If you can send me the link for Arizona University and what's going absolutely. on. Absolutely. And we'll put all that out and you know, wish you the best. I you know, I I love what you're doing. I love what the BCA are doing. Keep on at it, man. Yes. No, thank you. Just for the time. I mean, that's all the plug I need. You'll put the links up, but you know, I'm really proud of this organization and who we are and where we've been and where we're going. So if anyone has any questions on either certification, how to become a member, just the training, just want to have a beer with me in Toronto, by all means, reach out. And you know, one thing we didn't get to talk about was StairPress. And I'll, I'll talk to you an hour for StairPress next time, oh. if you want to invite me back. We'll take that offline in a minute. Okay. Right. <laughs> thank you for coming on, man. And uh, awesome. You got it. Thanks all. How'd you meet Brian, by the way? And you never told me that story. Well, he's been, because we're both in the, the commissioning 
industry, I'm sort of aware of him. I'm always aware of who's running the um, commissioners, the commission associations. But also, my daughter, when she first graduated with her engineering degree, she did a year and a half at JBB in Ryan's office. Now, oh. that's not how I know Ryan. She was in another Ryan's team there. She was in a design team. She worked on the LaGuardia Airport project before she got into aerospace. So it was interesting, but I've been aware of Ryan because. One, he was there, and I knew because he ran the commission department there, so I was aware of that. I didn't, when my daughter was working, I didn't like push yeah. myself into anything, you know. But yeah. I was aware of him then, and then when he became president of the BCA, that was that's quite a kudos, that's a high kudos thing because it's he's got to do his day job, he's got to run his team, so he runs the field team. So the way JBNB do it, they have all their field services in one team led by Ryan. So that's not just commissioning, that's like energy consulting, um, dilapidation surveys, everything, you know, just general field engineering. He runs yeah. all that. And he's president of the BCA, which is a, I've been in some of them committees, it's just, exa- you know, committee work, it's exhausting. Yeah. And you always walk out with a lot of stuff, you wind up being voluntold or volunteered for something, right? Totally, yeah. And you wind well, you up- know that's what I mean, when you look back at our, our list of people that we've interviewed yeah. and, the, and the people we have coming up, all high achievers, but they're passionate. I love the passion, you know, yeah. for, what, for what they're doing. Two things that I really loved about a couple of statements he made. One had to do with, I think it was the mission of the association, a built environment worth inheriting. Yes, I love that. I wrote that down yeah. as soon as he said that. Incredibly powerful statement. You know, if you ever wanted to create a guiding light to that sort of... yeah. The lighthouse for, well, in this case, their association, a built environment worth inheriting. Wow, that's... Yeah. See, all great mission statements are outcome-based, right, with no time. I love that. So love that much. And then I love the way he reframed my question. Yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. So that was mic drop, Brian. Absolutely <laughs> mic drop. Absolutely. So... You know, I asked him, I said, well, 25 years from now, you know, that there's a building commissioning, a member of BCA on the design team. How did that happen? And he reframed it. Well, a BCA member should be, the, you know, working on the team, hiring the architects and the engineers. Yeah. That was awesome because and he's absolutely right. I mean, and you and I know, and anybody that's listened to, the, the, to this podcast, if you've got any experience at all, you know that. On the back end of every project is where all the work really gets done. I mean, it's, you know, you're trying to make this thing perform. It's like an orchestra. Like you're sitting there with a sheet of music and you need to get everybody to play at the appropriate place at the appropriate time, the rhythms, all of this kinds of stuff. If you hire somebody at the beginning before it even gets started, you know, to write that music, write the sheet music, and then you're involved at the, at the start, it's huge. Yeah, that was really well done the way he reframed that and handled that question, actually. That's why he's the president, right? Yeah. yeah that's, that was a high-class maneuver. You know, that tells you, if I was his employer, that would tell me I could put Brian in any room and know everything's going to be good, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, you, you had said this before a couple of times, I always, and I'll never forget the, you know, about when you look at the Navy SEALs or whoever, high cap- people who are completely capable of being parachuted into an area and naked, no money, no, and before you know it, they're running the place. (laughs) That's the the SES saying, I want someone I could parachute naked into a town. 
by lunchtime they're clothed and fed, and by the evening they're running everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. One of them people, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so there's a great example of someone. If you was a a young graduate, you want to model yourself on someone's career. You know, you could do a lot worse than modeling yourself on someone like Brian. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He made another statement, which I totally agree with, and that is that commissioned agents are superheroes in this time that we're in the pandemic, getting buildings ready for people to come back in. Yeah. People understand that, you know, when you're taking, when you take a high rise building, an office tower or a school or a hospital, whatever, well, they say buildings that are unoccupied, so let's just say high rises, for example, yeah. you know, an office where you're bringing people back in. What you have to do to commission that building to make sure it's safe, and people need to understand this as well as it. <clears throat> Engineers, our ethical requirements are the number one ethical requirement is the health and safety of the pub, of the public, right? So as soon as they step in through the front doors, there are there are responsibility. And in the pandemic that we have here right now, where you know you're talking about a pathogen that kills, these people are taking on huge, huge responsibilities, making sure that the building is safe to come back in. And I agree with them. There's they are some superheroes, people that are doing work for free or for low cost, or signing up contracts on large scales with understanding that this is done because we're trying to save people's lives or prevent people from getting sick. They're not getting enough credit. Society doesn't give them the credit that they deserve. Because it's a hands-on task as well. It's not something you can phone in, right? (laughs) You can't. You're not calling a friend or pulling the audience on this. You're getting in there and you're looking at what is there what it's supposed to do, and if it's supposed to, and if, if you can get it to what it's supposed to do, is it adequate enough given the risk assessments that we have right now? It's yeah, buildings are like super tankers. You can't turn them off and stop them, right? They got to <laughs> run. They got to be maintained, even when they're completely empty. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I and I, the other thing I loved getting that into the colleges, and you picked up on that right away in terms of Arizona State University that's that's a straight up jujitsu move that is that is pretty powerful there's if you showered a lot of money at someone like the BCA you know that would be their move into universities get courses going get some books written you know become the standard and it's hard to do on a shoestring when you've got constraints but the University of Arizona got to be worse places to go right for four years no shit yeah man like, I don't know, take, take a spot in anywhere in northern Saskatchewan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, you also said something that I totally believe. We've actually talked about it before, and that is the difference between certification and qualifications. Yeah. That right? is big. People need to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, people do not get that. And that's I think that's another gangster move by the BCA, really going down that avenue of qualification. That is a good move because, uh, again, the addressable market is huge, really. Yeah. It's just you, a, think about, you think about your other word, like, you know, skill stack, yeah, right, and qualifications versus certification. So you could have a real short skill stack, right, take a course, write an exam and get certified, but not know what the F you're doing. Yeah. Or you could have a real tall skill stack and be completely qualified and not certified. Exactly. And trouble is procurement do not know how to distinguish between them two things. That is the problem, right? Because for them, a brick is a brick is a brick is a brick, right? Yeah. Now, that's the problem with procuring professional services. It's just hard, man. It's a whole mess, but that's why we have a job, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> also talked about data. You know, if you're going to collect the data, use the data. Don't let it sit in some spreadsheet and 
wither away. Well, of course, it won't do that. But that data is going to become very valuable later on. People are going to start fighting over that data, but yeah. metaphorically, yeah, no, it's mine, no, it's mine, because they can start selling it to each other in the end. Yeah, yeah, so that's going to be a move. Yeah, totally. Okay, man. Listen, I mean, I keep saying it, and I because I mean it. We've been really lucky to have the people that we get on. We've have incredible minds from all segments, and we have some episodes coming up that are going to be outstanding. And so, for to our listeners, thank you for listening as always, and stay tuned because we got some great stuff coming up. Oh yeah. Okay, man. Have a good one. See you in the next one. All right, man. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.